Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio. Featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spiritual Insights. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us for yet another installment in our uh, segments on A Course in Miracles with co-host Dr. Robert Rosenthal. And Dr. Bob is here with us, and today we'll be, we'll be discussing Passover and Easter, twin celebrations of the emergence of the true self. We will take a, the larger part of our context from his book, From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit. Of course, we'll be referencing A Course in Miracles, and as well as the Bible, for a message that is pertinent to all of us. I would like to say that um, Passover and Easter commemorate the foundational events that lie at the heart of Judaism and Christianity, respectively. Passover, the festival of freedom, recounts how God, acting through Moses, freed the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt and set them on their journey to the Promised Land. Easter commemorates the three days that began with the crucifixion of Jesus and culminated not in his death, but his resurrection as the Christ. We can understand these holidays on the superficial level of the story itself, or we can go deeper, seeing them as parables of the spiritual journey, hidden maps that guide us away from the ego's fearful world and back toward the all-encompassing, all-loving embrace of God. So Amen. <laughs> get your paper and pen ready, everyone. I have a feeling this is going to be one of those. those it's becoming typical. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Bob. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Shar? I'm hanging in there. Yeah, you said there was a lot of intensity, huh? A lot of intensity this month. So I want to I want to tell everybody a little bit about what's going on energetically from an astrological standpoint. Um, we had a new moon on March 30th, and that is very impactful. But also this month, the month of April 2014, it is the most active month in the entire year because we will be experiencing two eclipses. And those will be taking place on April 15th, as well as the 28th or 29th, depending on your time zone. One is a full lunar eclipse and one's a full solar. And those are very intense. And eclipses bring about major change, in many cases, endings, especially with the, the full moon. 
lunar eclipse. So I, I know a lot of people are having a bit of a tough time this month. Um, so all I want to say is hang in there. Just kind of ride the waves of change and listen to what we have to say about letting go of our attachments. And perhaps if you are so inclined, you can go to a website and find out in which areas these eclipses might impact you depending on your sun sign. And that is astrologyzone.net. Pretty easy to spell. Go there. Susan Miller is frighteningly accurate. So I think that will be helpful to you. So now we're going to turn to our topic for today. Dr. Bob, take it away. All right. So, yes, uh, welcome, everyone. And um, if you're uh, a first-time listener, what we generally do is I ramble on for a little bit, uh, and then Char joins me, and we ramble on together back and forth. And then there is a period for questions. Uh, Last month, I know uh, some of you did have questions, and the system malfunctioned. Hopefully, that won't happen again. But if you do have questions, feel free to call 347 nine three four zero seven five one and get in the queue and when we get to that part of the uh, show um, I would be happy to field whatever comes up uh, with Char and you know we'll bat back and forth whatever uh, you know whatever your uh, questions may be so today um, we're going to be talking about Passover and Easter and I titled the show you know twin celebrations of the emergence of the true self because I think that that's what these two celebrations are. There are some amazing correspondences between the two holidays. Uh, Many people would say, well, you know, Easter grew out of Passover. The Last Supper, according to some, uh, was a Passover Seder. Um, I'm not intending to look at it in just those terms, but to try to show how each of these holidays offers a different allegory, if you will, of how we shed the ego self and remember return to our essence as spirit, um, or as A Course in Miracles would say, teach only love, for that is what you are. Um, so first, the holidays. They are very closely related. They're both defined uh, by the vernal equinox, the spring equinox. So Passover takes place on the first full moon after the vernal equinox, uh, Easter takes place on the first Sunday after the full moon after, of the vernal equinox. Uh, there are years where they actually fall on the same day, but since uh, the full moon comes on this coming Monday night, uh, Easter Sunday isn't for another week. But they're both spring holidays, and I think in our modern world, we lose sight of the fact that for most of human history, springtime marked the beginning of the year. Uh, I don't know when the change happened that we decided it was, um, you know, January. Uh, I suspect it has something to do with the ascendance of Christmas as a prominent holiday. Um, But for, you know, if you're a a lover of English literature as I am, uh, you'll know that uh, the the poet and writer Chaucer talked about Wandered April with his Shuler Sutta. When April comes with his sweet showers, the world blossoms, becomes, uh, you know, flowers come up. That's the start of the year. Why? Because it's about rebirth. The world, which was cold, um, which plant life, which seemed dead, all of it reappears. And so these two holidays are intricately tied in with that. Um, For both religions, Judaism and Christianity, 
these were the first holidays uh, to be celebrated. Now, I don't know about historically in Judaism, but if you read the Hebrew uh, Bible, the Old Testament, Passover is the first holiday that God orders people to celebrate. Um, it comes before the Ten Commandments. Uh, it comes before, um, therefore, the Sabbath. It comes before the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, with the Day of Atonement that follows Yom Kippur. And even though these other holidays in the Jewish calendar have eclipsed Passover and are regarded as more important, I, I think there's, there's something to be noted that Passover came first. In Christianity, Easter was the first holiday to be celebrated well before the advent of uh, Christmas. And yet, isn't it interesting how in both religions, these holidays that were either prescribed first or came first have in fact been overshadowed by other holidays, and that those other holidays, in a sense, have, have, have um, you know, changed the bar for where the year starts. So that with Christmas, we have Christmas, and then we go right into the secular New Year. In Judaism, we have Rosh Hashanah, which is uh, usually uh, takes place sometime in September, followed by the Day of the Atonement, and that is the New Year. But I think if, if we were able to get back into the ancient mind, we would discover that, in fact, Easter and Passover have more to do um, with the start of the year than, than these other holidays. Now, for the sake of some of our listeners, I'm assuming that everyone knows that Easter celebrates the events around the crucifixion. I'm not assuming that everyone knows Passover. Uh, but Passover is a celebration of the events that took place uh, as recounted in the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Bible. That, and you can you know, watch this with Charlton Heston starring as Moses in the movie The Ten Commandments, if you're not sure. There's a smiley face after I say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the Hebrews found themselves enslaved in Egypt. A leader was born to them, Moses, and born in most miraculous circumstances because... Pharaoh, a new pharaoh who had come to power and enslaved them, had ordered that all Hebrew male children were to be murdered, um, and yet Moses survived. He was hidden on the Nile River. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, and uh, without going into all the details of the story, which you can find in the book of Exodus, and which I also go through in uh, my book, From Plagues to Miracles, Moses sees and encounters God at the burning bush and is told you have to go back into Egypt to free your people. And indeed, he does. So Passover commemorates these events of Moses confronting Pharaoh, the ten plagues that ensue, the plagues that um, are literally a response to Pharaoh saying, no, no, I will not let your people go. I will not let the Hebrew people go. Um, and eventuating in the tenth plague, the death of Egyptian firstborns, which, at which point Pharaoh goes, all right, get out of here. I, I've had enough. And the Hebrew people flee Egypt in a hurry, um, eventually cross the Red Sea where Pharaoh dies trying to chase them uh, and find themselves en route to the promised land. I don't intend to talk about the wilderness uh, or Mount Sinai or Mana very much here. I want to focus on the events of Passover um, and Easter. Um, so Passover is called the Festival of Freedom because the Jewish people, or really the Hebrew people at that point, um, achieved freedom from bondage. So 
right here we see another similarity and that both of these holidays, both of these spring festivals of renewal and rebirth are anchored in historical events. And yet, if you ask archaeologists, they can't find any evidence for a mass exodus of 600,000 people from Egypt. If you ask historians, um, they're fairly confident that there probably was someone named Jesus, Yeshua, who, who had been crucified. But the details of how that happened, um, you know, what the real story was, again, they're very, very vague. The Gospels weren't written down until a, a generation and a half, two generations later, um, they were filled with uh, a number of political agendas that the early church uh, leaders had that, that, uh, in terms of who could, who could be uh, a celebrant. So both of these, these festivals are tied to historical events as if history gave rise to them when, in point of fact, they operate at the archetypal level, at the very deepest level of our true self and its struggle to be free and, and remember its, its essence as spirit. So we can celebrate Passover Easter at the surface level. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> the level of the story. You know, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey. He, um, you know, uh, was brought before Pilate. He was eventually crucified. And on the third day, he was reborn, resurrected, uh, and, uh, and then appeared to his apostles on the road. We can look at Passover as, as, I, as the story that I just uh, said earlier. But I think there's, there's far more richness if we look at these as parables. Uh, and in that sense, um, there's way too much for me to cover in, in just a short talk, uh, and I would highly recommend, if, if you're interested in this topic, I'm checking out from Plagues to Miracles. But let's look at it this way. These two parables of transcendence come at it from seemingly very different directions. The story of Exodus talks about the story of a people and their release from bondage. I mean, very definitely a historical event. I mean, it, it, it starts out, uh, at, at first glimpse, it almost seems like July 4th. You know, we're celebrating Independence Day. So it's the story of a people and, and how they achieve freedom. And yet, as we'll see, that actually is a metaphor, an allegory, a parable of a personal journey, of how we confront our own inner pharaoh, the ego self that keeps us tied to the physical body and tied to an identity that can really only bring us pain and suffering. Um, there's a connection to Buddhism here, the Buddhist's first noble truth. All life is dukkha, suffering, um, difficulties, hardship. To the extent that we operate using, to, a computer metaphor here, using the ego's operating system, we are going to suffer. We are going to be in bondage. As long as we are serving the interests of this inner pharaoh, so to speak, um, good luck on finding genuine, lasting, deep-seated happiness. So, so Passover is the story of a people that actually teaches us how to move forward in our own journey. Easter, on the other hand, is the story of one man, Jesus of Nazareth, and his own personal journey. Now, we can misunderstand that and somehow uh, venerate him as most of Christianity does and make him a special case 
someone who, because he was already the Son of God, was able to shed sin, overcome death itself, um, and rise to his true stature as the Son of God. And what is required of us is simply to worship him. That's the surface level. Or, at the deeper level of the story, recognizing this as a story of personal transcendence. A man who recognized through his own spiritual work that the body is nothing, that the body doesn't even exist, that the entire phenomenal world of form within which we think we live has very little relationship to God and therefore was able to go through a crucifixion, what for most of us would be the most horrific torture, pain, ignominy inflicted on the physical body, to go through that and emerge at the other end unscathed because, lo and behold, he wasn't a body. He never was a body. And in fact, understood correctly, the Easter story um, is about the personal self, the ego self that has a name, that has a story. It was born in a particular place of such and such parents and grew up, became a carpenter or what have you. It's the transcendence of that self, Jesus of Nazareth, coming the Christ. Jesus transcending his personality uh, and becoming the essence, the Son of God, which is really what all of us are. Um, Jesus said in the Gospels, there's nothing that I've done that you can't do and do even more. And yet how often that gets overlooked, you know. But if that statement is accurate, and I have no doubt that it is, then the path of Jesus' life is, is not there for us to um, separate ourselves from and somehow exalt other than as an exemplar of what we want to do for ourselves. So both stories, Passover and Easter, offer this, this little trap, this pitfall of seeing them just at the surface level. Yeah, you know, as a Jewish people, we were freed from Egypt, and that's terrific. God led us by, with a mighty hand. Um, you know, Jesus did these things, let's worship him. But, but we want to be able to embrace them uh, at this, this, this much deeper level. Now, let me just pause here before going on and getting into even more depth. Shar, uh, any thoughts? Am I being clear? Uh, anything you want to add? Absolutely. Um, it's absolutely clear, and I love the comparison of the parables, one being the story of a people and kind of like the, the journey of a consciousness of those people as opposed to Easter being about the personal journey of Jesus, but yet we can reach in and kind of glean out of that. Yeah, it's about us as well. It's about, like you said, the personal self, the identity. They both relate to our journey, yes. Absolutely. And yet, I think something is lost in a lot of the translations for Easter, where Passover seems to have that concept intact after all these years. Really good point. Um, I, I think each each holiday has you know sort of its um, its benefits and its uh, well. Let me. I think with Passover, because the story was codified so accurately in the Hebrew Bible and lived for you know umpteen generations, probably twenty five hundred, three thousand years, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
there is a purity to it, and perhaps if there's one take-home for uh, our listeners about Passover, it is this. Jews are told that Passover should be celebrated in the present tense. It's not, oh yeah, this thing happened long ago, and um, you know, so what? Uh, we are instructed to celebrate Passover as if we were today slaves in Egypt uh, experiencing this release, this freedom. Now, some people hear that as just, okay, imagine what it was like to be uh, you know, an ancient Hebrew because you'll appreciate all the more the, the release for, uh, that, that God uh, gave us. No, to me, that's, 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 the, 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 that's the, the, the touchstone, the key, that's the key to the whole holiday. If you're experiencing in the present tense, it's saying you are a slave in Egypt, even today. You know, Egypt, the Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim. Uh, Mitzrayim is a very interesting word. It means a tight, narrow, confined, constricted place. Uh, that's the world we live in. It's a tight, narrow place, a hard place to get through. Mitzrayim in Hebrew also is, uh, has an implication of doubleness, uh, which speaks to a sense of duality. You know, we're living in a world that we think is real, but actually it's, it's kind of a double. It's a, a pale reflection of, of the universe that God knows. But because we're told to celebrate Passover in the present tense, it opens up to this kind of um, deeper exploration, I think, more easily. I think that Easter, in some ways, um, goes right head-on at the uh, core of the ego's uh, fallacies and the ego's confusion by going right at our image of death and our fear of death and what death is. Uh, and in that sense, I think it offers a value that is harder to find in Passover, although the message is there in both of them. In Easter, though, the temptation, as I just said, is to turn it into some kind of a, you know, uh, a celebration that, that makes us less than, Jesus more than, and, and, and turns, takes a spiritual journey and turns it into um, a creed that just says you just have to believe. Uh, this isn't about belief. You can believe all you want that Jesus uh, was the risen Christ, um, but that's not going to do very much for your life unless you learn to embody that. Mm-hmm. So let's go deeper. Um, the Passover story. I mentioned that the tenth plague was the death of the Egyptian firstborn children. Um, well, it's very interesting. When God in the Old Testament frees the Hebrews, he instructs them, and this is where we're told to celebrate Passover, that this freedom, this night, is to be celebrated throughout history and that all firstborns are henceforth to be consecrated to God. So there's a form of immortality that's achieved um, through, this, through the repetition of the holiday. In other words, this, this present tense, I am freeing myself from bondage, comes around every year at the same time in the spring to remind us, okay, uh, are you free? Uh, very few people in our world can answer, yes, I am free. You know, there is physical slavery in this world. There's sexual slavery. There's slavery to work. I, I see al- uh, workaholics in my practice all the time. There's slavery <clears throat> to alcoholic substances. There's slavery to money and the fear of not having enough. 
there's slavery to relationships. Um, you know, I'm sure we all know someone, and perhaps in our past have even been someone who was in a relationship where we just couldn't imagine losing it. Um, the, the terror of that person leaving us was so great. This is what gives rise to some of the horror stories we hear uh, about, you know, men uh, taking their wives and children hostage and then, you know, shooting them and then committing suicide. They're so addicted, so enslaved to that sense of relationship that they can't, they can't, they can't um, allow the idea of any space coming between them and, uh, and the person they're dependent on. So Passover says, at least once a year, guys, gals, think about this. Put yourself in that position so that you look around and recognize that you are still enslaved, very much so, and that you're not going to be able to escape from slavery on your own. And what is the agent of that slavery? It is the Pharaoh. Who is Pharaoh? Well, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, it says uh, the Pharaoh is someone who says, you know, I don't know your God. Uh, Pharaoh has no connection to God. Pharaoh doesn't know anything about what you know, life in the divine lane looks like. Uh, so that's the part of our mind we're enslaved to. What's the other side of it? I like to call it the Moses mind. Uh, it's the part of the mind that never lost touch with God. But uh, even if you're an atheist, you can think of this as the intuitive mind. You can think of this as the Jungian uh, archetypal collective unconscious. It's that which is greater than your personality, your small ego self, and the various descriptions and adjectives and historical um, pieces of your life that you use to define you. You're not that. You're not where you were born. You're not your name. You're not your physical body. You're not the clothes you wear. You're not the friends you keep. You're not the, uh, the, the number that comes after your adjusted uh, gross income on your 1040. Um, you're, not, uh, who you're, you're not even the parents of your children, uh, if that's defining you. There is an essence. There is something much bigger than us, and that is us. Uh, Passover also creates a sense of immortality. In that, um, in that it reverses the death of the Egyptian firstborns. So that, uh, follow this carefully, if the firstborns are the works of the ego, all those things that, are, that the ego cherishes, Pharaoh's children, if you will, um, well, all of those are going to perish. They're eventually going to die. In uh, From Plagues to Miracles, I use the uh, Percy this Shelley's poem, Ozymandias, uh, as a great example of that. You know, as, uh, for those who don't know it, uh, and look it up. It's a great poem. It's about a desert traveler who comes upon, you know, these broken feet in the desert that, that, that have an inscription uh, that says, you know, here is the great king Ozymandias. Look on his works, ye mighty, and tremble. <clears throat> and all that's there is, you know, a couple of remnants of the statue. All the works of ego crumble and die with time. You are not going to outlive your life. You're going to die. Our children die. Anything that is of the ego's world is, is doomed to death. Uh, and this is reflected in the Passover story by the death of the Egyptian firstborns. But God counters it by saying, ah, but the Hebrew firstborns, that is to say the fruits of spirit, the works that we know bring us back in touch with God, that which allows us to see our fellow man, our brothers and sisters, literally as one with us, love your neighbor as yourself, 
these don't die, and this is the antidote. You want the antidote to death? Here it is. Um, you know, recognize this broader sense of self. The same message comes through, but it's just in a very, very different form. In Easter, we have the crucifixion. Now, yes, I know, um, you know, the vast majority of Christendom, it's, I, I went and sat in a Catholic cathedral um, for Easter uh, back when I was in medical school and watched this lurid slideshow of the Stations of the Cross and mm. the, the, the brutalization of the man Jesus. Um, more recently, we've got you know, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. You'd think that that was what the holiday was about, and the resurrection was just this you know, kind of nice afterthought. No. Again, looking at it reflected through uh, the lens of Passover, the crucifixion is about the inevitability of death. Um, I'm, if you look at the story of Jesus in those last days, there were countless points where he knew what was coming. He could have run. Pilate could have freed him instead of Barabbas. Um, Judas could have not betrayed him. Um, there were countless points where this could have gone in other directions, but it didn't. And the man, Jesus, knew it. Why did he know it? Because, once again, all the works of ego, the personality structure, is bound to go the route of death. But Jesus knew that he was giving a particularly glaring and powerful um, demonstration uh, that even this, this, this horrid death really means nothing, nothing at all. Uh, because after the crucifixion, he was still present. He could manifest to his disciples. Um, he appeared in the form that they uh, could recognize him, except, remember, they didn't recognize him. And I think that's a very key point as well, which is to say when we become overly fixated on the personality and a cult of personality, we miss the deeper level. You know, We miss the Christ because we're focused on Jesus. Uh, I think this happens even with many students of A Course in Miracles. Uh, I think Ken Wapnick made the point that if you have to think about uh, the voice of the Course as Jesus, you are tying it more to a particular personality than recognizing that, no, what's coming through is the voice of the Christ consciousness, of which we are all a part, and because time is an illusionary construct, at the end of time, we are all that oneness, that being, the Son of God, the Sonship. Son of God isn't special. It isn't confined to this one person. Um, it, it, it's all of us. And yet even Ken, uh, you know, frequently talked about uh, Jesus says this, Jesus says that. Uh, but I, I, I like to think, um, you know, referring to the Christ consciousness as Jesus is a little bit like um, saying, you know, what did your parents call you when you were four years old, and then calling you by that today. You know, nobody calls me Bobby today, uh, but, mm -hmm. but, you know, that's who I used to bet anymore. So both stories open up this, this wonderful, wonderful pathway that says, yes, you thought you were inevitably bound to death. If you identify with the physical body, um, you wind up crucified, racked in pain, uh, and unable to see that, that there is something beyond that, that there is a, really it isn't even a resurrection, it's more like an unveiling. The body comes off and the reality that was always there is revealed. 
In, in Passover, if you're identified with um, slavery to Pharaoh and you think Pharaoh is God or Pharaoh is the king, um, your firstborns are all going to die. Um, and, and unfortunately, in both holidays, uh, the theme of sacrifice comes up and, and blocks us from appreciating the real freedom, the real liberation that the holiday offers to us. Uh, that is to say, in Christianity, Jesus sacrificed himself. You know, God took human form and died in abject pain and misery in order to absolve you of your sins, which, by the way, makes sin very real. Uh, a Course in Miracles uh, probably, well, the purpose of A Course in Miracles was for Jesus to be able to come back and correct so many of the misunderstandings and misinterpretations that accrued in the uh, centuries after his, his, his passing and, and his uh, transmutation. Um, but, you know, I think he says somewhere in the Course, I was not punished because you were bad. He has the status of an older brother to us. Um, I, once again, would go to that metaphor that I used last month of the caravan that leaves uh, and people leave at different times. You know, think of it this way. Jesus was in the first wave of the caravan. He's right there blazing the trail, only the trail's already blazed. We just need to follow it. Um, and the Easter story helps us to do that. Passover also harkens back to the sacrifice theme in that um, Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac earlier in the uh, Hebrew Bible. He goes to do so, and a ram appears uh, as a substitute sacrifice. But, but there's this idea that if we truly follow God, God is going to ask us to do the most horrific things, um, that to prove our, our love and obedience and faith, God is going to ask a sacrifice of us. Well, this is a complete misunderstanding. The sacrifice is seen through the ego mind. The ego is terrified that if it follows God, it's going to lose everything it has. And you know what? It's right. It will. Because what does the ego have? It's got a body that's going to die. It's got uh, a world of form uh, that's constantly changing. Uh, the medieval theologians talked about mutability, which means the process of change. Change is always happening. You can't, you can't be static. So that, um, you know, if, 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 if we, um, if we want to make, uh, if we want to say, you know, get, get to God, the world of change isn't going to be there. The ego offers nothing. So, yes, the ego will die. But the ego sees this as the ultimate sacrifice that God is demanding of us. Whereas when we can let go of the ego mind and, you know, we don't have to give it all up at once. That would be surely terrifying. We all identify with our bodies to some extent. Uh, you know, we have a life that we're living. But we can loosen the moorings and allow more of that light to come through. We can look on our brothers and sisters and see not a body and, and a personality with the instant set of assumptions that go with that. In fact, we can recognize those assumptions as our own projections. And in beyond the body, we can see the light that is the light of the Christ, um, that is the light of the Moses mind. And we can become ourselves more and more Moses uh, or, or, or the Christ. So there is no sacrifice implicit in it except to the ego that sees the body uh, and the illusions that go with the body as all there is in the game. And so, sure, you know, if God's asking us to give that up and to give up our special individual identities, 
oh my gosh, you know, I, do, do I want to cling to the idea that I'm, you know, Bob Rosenthal uh, and hold on to that through eternity when the alternative is is this blazing, loving light that, that has no end uh, and in which we all share? I've experienced that. Let me tell you, uh, there's nothing in physical reality that holds a candle to that, that holds a match to that. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And yet, we are afraid of it. So we're not asked to sacrifice. The Course says that all, this, uh, all that's really asked of us is a little willingness, a little willingness. Set your intention. I'd like to be able to know myself more as the Christ and less as the crucified body. I'd like to be able to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh's ego world um, and experience the freedom that lies on that other side of the Red Sea, a world of miracles where where, where I'm, you know, uh, surviving on mana, which appears every day, and water that appears from, uh, you know, from a rock that I can carry with me. This is what the two holidays are telling us. Now, before I um, stop, one other thought, and that is this. It's so typical of the ego mind to take um, truth and try to kind of compartmentalize it in one place and say, okay, do it here, but then get back to work. You know, celebrate your Sabbath one day out of seven. Um, be with God the whole day. But you know what? When it's over, get back to work, get back into the physical world, think of yourself as a body again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, in that sense, I would like to suggest that every day is Easter, every day is Passover. Every day offers us the possibility of that complete transcendence. And the extent to which we let that in uh, determines how happy, how loving we are, uh, and ultimately how we see ourselves. And that then um, ripples out and affects everyone else in our world. And I don't just mean the people you know. A Course in Miracles is very clear that, you know, that the Christ mind... Uh, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the agent of God operating within physical reality, will take any opening that we give them uh, and use it to bring the miracle, the consciousness of love's presence, wherever it can be received in physical reality. Um, so when we do our work and make this day Easter and this day Passover, and we cross over um, and we move from the crucifixion of ego into the resurrection of, of the reunion with God, um, we are saving the world. We've become ourselves the risen Christ. That's the goal of these holidays. So Passover is Monday night, the first night of Passover. It goes on for eight days, which means that it will overlap with um, you know Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. Um, let's see if we can remember Let's see as we go through these, these twin uh, holidays if we can allow the emergence of the true self, our self as God knows us, rather than our self as ego um, confines us and restricts us. All right, so sermon completed. <laughs> uh, thoughts, questions, I'm sure, Char, you've got some. And if we have any um, you know, listeners in the queue, uh, after you're done, we could get to them. Okay. Uh, yes, there are some people in the queue. However, um, when someone has a question, there is a question mark next to their name, so it, it, it appears they just want to listen. So I'll allow okay. that to happen. But I have plenty 
to go over. Please, good. Beautiful, beautiful discourse, very powerful. And I want to start with this. You had mentioned there that that Passover has a certain purity to it. And I, I agree with that. And I think there should be a purity to Easter, but somehow, and I, I think because of the energetic component of, of the event of Passover and then the commandment to celebrate this every year, somehow it couldn't be commercialized or tainted the way Easter has, where Easter, which should be about the eternal self-resurrecting and staying in connection with spirit, is, is for many people, I will not say all, because I have met people who do not indulge in these practices, in these hallmark practices, but, you know, Easter is now about Easter eggs and this and that. And so everything you said kind of pulls it, pulls both reins back and ties them together and injects the original intent back into these holidays. And, I, and yes, I think it should be celebrated on a daily basis. We should be staying in the present, be here now, all of that wonderful stuff. But I want to kind of talk about some examples of what we do to ourselves and how we remain enslaved to our egos in the situations of our life, that chaotic ballet that can often be our life, you know, and, and learn how to allow that emergence of true self to occur, how to allow that shift to occur, if you don't mind me doing that. Oh, please. That, that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> okay. Here I go. In many situations, we, we want to be clear that we need to recognize, look around and recognize what we're doing to ourselves in these interactions, what we're doing to the other. In your book, I quote, you, you put in there, passivity is not an option. So we need to take control, for lack of a better word, but take control of our awareness and look at our lives. Um, and let go of situations as an act of surrender, which would be trust, rather than resisting change, which is clinging to what's not healthy for us. And you already cited many of those examples, jobs, relationships, friendships. Of course, this is one of those oddly funny moments where I have notes in front of me that you don't know about, and it's like you're reading from my pages. <laughs> but I love it. Well, it's all it's, one oh, line. It's so, it's so funny, and... I want to touch on that rim for just a second in a minute. But I also have in my notes, you mentioned lifestyle, habits, vices. But I also added attachments, expectations, false hope, and self-destructive behaviors and attitudes such as pessimism and self-pity. And so I, I would like you to help us explore that. I wanted to touch on the rim just for a second in a symbolic way. You know, a sacrifice was asked to be made and then a ram appears. But look at, the, look at the physical characteristics of a ram. They have horns. And what, what is their behavior? They butt heads. What is Good. that indicative of? Stubbornness. And I wrote, and a fixed attitude, an immovable fixed attitude. And as I was writing that, you were talking about being mutable, being capable of change. So if we stop butting heads with reality and the truth, then we can start to see which areas of our lives not so much what isn't working. I think that's pretty obvious. But why and what we need to do to reclaim the peace that is our inherent right. 
So I'd like to read from your book. The recommended reading for this discussion, ladies and gentlemen, is from Dr. Bob's book, From Plagues to Miracles, and chapters 9 and 10 are where our focus mainly is. But on page 106, you reference hitting bottom. So I want to start here, and then we'll talk about ways in which people can identify and release. I have a whole thing of steps. Let me see if you agree with my, my assessment. But it says, the tenth plague pushes suffering to its maximum. Sorry, the, the name of the chapter is the tenth plague and the Passover, death and a new beginning. The tenth plague pushes suffering to its maximum. There can be no further question of resistance. Our defenses are overwhelmed and we surrender without struggle. The tenth plague is the godfather's, quote, offer that can't be refused. In the jargon of addiction recovery, it's called hitting bottom. We've tried to cling to the old ways that seemed to work for us before, but they sure don't work anymore. Nothing does. Nothing can stop our suffering. We're forced to let go, to surrender, fully and unconditionally. So, Dr. Bob, when we're in a situation, be it a job, as is the case with Marie in your book, where yeah. she's at this soul-destroying job with this person who seems to um, epitomize evil, and then she gets to the point where she finally lets go, which is a form of surrender, and quits the job, and then everything opens up to her miraculously. Yes. I, I see it as when you get to your perceived rock bottom, that we need to recognize the toxic situation, identify with what does and doesn't work, accept your powerlessness to change anything external, anything outside of you, to allow a shift in consciousness to occur, and then finally embrace change. As fearful as that may be, know that it's, you want what your soul wants, not what your brain is afraid of. You know, we don't, we don't want a certain type of job because we're afraid of being destitute. We want what will give us satisfaction. Um, and, and to know that the, the will of God is your peace. Yes. And all of these yes. small depths of the ego, as we look around in our lives and our, our relationships, and say, you know what, I have to end this, or I have to stop doing that, or I need to do this. It's like a series of depths of the ego. And since, yes. as, as you state in the book, um, fear is the ego's, like dark, fear of death is the ego's darkest secret. So then that translates for me as fear, uh, fear of death in a symbolic sense of fear of loss and how big a loss can be with someone that you desperately do not want to leave your life, um, a job you desperately do not want to lose, a change you don't want to make. How do you feel, in your words, how death leads to freedom? Great question. And... Um I do have a few thoughts on it. Uh, first, I think it's instructive that in Exodus and in the Passover story, plagues, and there's a process of escalation that happens with each one of those. And that, therefore, at any one of those points, as suffering ratchets up for Pharaoh and, uh, and the Egyptian people, Pharaoh has the choice to say, enough, um, I've suffered, I see the light, I will allow freedom to happen here. Pharaoh doesn't, and the Bible talks about this as, um, you know, Pharaoh hardening his heart. 
the the rabbis who've interpreted these passages over thousands of years say that yes pharaoh had the choice but at a certain point when we say no over and over and over again we lose the choice our heart is hardened uh, and that's the end of the story I, I'm not sure I agree with that um, and this is where I do like the 12-step literature more I, I, I don't believe there is a state that is so locked in so stubborn to use the ram metaphor um, so pharaohic that grace that, that that God's grace isn't available even in the the, the, the most abject possible suffering uh, and indeed, there, there are stories of human beings all over uh, throughout time who've managed to do that and to find that. Um, so I, I think that on the one hand, we don't have to hit bottom, or, or let me rephrase that, everyone's bottom is different. Even within uh, the AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous community, um, you'll find uh, someone whose bottom was, wow, I you know, realized I was drinking too much at the party uh, and making a fool of myself, and I think I've got an alcohol problem, I'm not going to drink anymore, which by most standards would be a fairly mild bottom, whereas someone else uh, you know, doesn't stop drinking until they're in a car accident and you know, their two kids are killed uh, because they were drunk and, and their whole life goes topsy-turvy. Um, but so I understand I, I, the idea for me in Passover of that 10th plague uh, or in Easter as the crucifixion is um, the point at which the suffering is so great that, that we can no longer allow the ego self to delude us with yet another dream or another goal. This relationship didn't work out. But, oh, boy, you know, that guy over in the next cubicle, I know he's going to be the right one. You know, we're, the ego is always dangling before us the next iteration of what it would consider salvation. And it will keep doing that over and over and over again. So the tenth plague is the point at which we go, this isn't working. There must be a better way. It's, it's the place where our intention shifts from trying to find some, some shreds of, of lasting happiness in a world that's constantly changing. Uh, I don't know, you know, I've noticed for me when I've had something that I really, really wanted, a triumph, and I've gotten it, it feels great for a few days, maybe a week, but then it's kind of like, all right, what now? You know, I'm sure that for those guys uh, on, on the Super Bowl winning teams, they did it. They won the Super Bowl. They got their ring. And you know what? Six, seven months later, here we go. It's a new season. You're the former Super Bowl champs, but you're going to have to prove yourself all over again. Mm-hmm. So the triumphs of the ego um, don't last. The movie The Graduate actually typified this beautifully in the world of relationships where um, Dustin Hoffman's character, Benjamin, is chasing Catherine Ross and you know, she's this, this icon of, of gorgeousness, even though he hardly knows her. I think they've had like one conversation. And right. he pursues her and gets there at the wedding and is, you know, hammering on the church door and screaming her name. And then she screams it back and they run off. And the final shot of the movie is the two of them sitting side by side at the back of a city bus, Catherine Ross in her beautiful bridal gown, 
Dustin Hoffman with this, you know, stupid grin on his face. And it's kind of like, okay, you got what you wanted. Got what I but wanted. what now? <laughs> the bus is going. Where are they headed? You know, there is no story in the ego world that lives happily ever after. That's a Hollywood <laughs> artifact of, of yelling cut and putting up the titles, the end. And, so, and leaving the rest of it to your imagination. I mean, how does he know she doesn't have herpes? <laughs> you know, Bingo. I, I can see him as you're describing it. I can see the whole scene, and it's like, how realistic oh, is this? Oh, it's a brilliant scene. Oh, it's great. It's the whole movie's scene. great, but because it leaves it to the ego. I mean, you know, it, it's another one about the ego achieving its goals. I mean, most of our favorite Hollywood movies are the ego, you know, uh, achieving its uh, its goals. Now, some movies, you know, really do picture real release. I mean, I would say something like Shawshank Redemption is a Passover story. You know, how do we literally make it out of bondage and, you know, maintain hope and all of that. But I'm getting, uh, I'm getting off track. So back to your question, um, in a sense, the end of the journey really is inevitable. Uh, Pharaoh is going to break down and let the Hebrew people go. Uh, it, it, it's practically foreordained. Jesus is going to be crucified, but he is also going to uh, appear in his natural form as the risen Christ, the Christ that God um, you know, reveals, because it's inevitable. The journeys seem to take place through time, and within the perspective of time, we're not sure of the ending, because you know, we're only seeing it from the perspective of our little life. But in the big picture... Illusion ends. Reality can't be changed. Reality uh, is reality. So that tenth plague point, you know, that's just where we wake up. Um, there's a passage in A Course in Miracles uh, that, interestingly enough, I actually have a tab in my book right there. I thought I was going to have to search for it, where it mm -hmm. says, for those who are course students, this is Chapter 2, Section 3, Paragraph 3, Tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. As this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. This ultimately reawakens spiritual vision. So, you know, you can learn either because pain has taken you to that place where you really recognize that there are no other roads to choose, um, or you can get fairly early on that, oh, you know, the, the path of God and spirit feel better. Uh, and because time is an illusion, uh, as the Course uh, paints it, um, it doesn't, you know, the course, A Course in Miracles states in the introduction, you don't get to choose the curriculum. You only get to choose the time that you want to take it. So we had a meeting of one of our local Course in Miracles groups earlier today, and one of the participants, Francis, shared a dream of his where there were all these different tunnels that he could go down, and he wasn't sure which one to go. And then he realized that there was light at the end of every one of the tunnels, so it didn't really matter which path he would get to the light. That is a very true reflection of, of the spiritual path. Now, some of those tunnels probably go on for lifetimes and lifetimes, and others you probably walk down a few feet, and boom, you're in the light. But that's just time. Um, so I, I, I may have gotten sidetracked. Did that address the question, or there may have been another piece of it that, that I've forgotten? <laughs> no, no, that was great. That was great. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, that's where that idea comes from. Oh, and I know I was going to say, 
your idea of the ram as being stubborn, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the primary characteristic of the Pharaoh of Exodus, stubbornness. You know, he's not going to let go, even when he admits he's wrong. And there are places, I forget which plagues, but after, uh, I think, the locusts, uh, you know, you're right, I'm at fault. Uh, that lasts about 10 seconds, and the moment, you know, the plague stops, he's, he's back to his old ways. But that yeah. is a reflection of ego. Ego cannot become spirit. Ego cannot become God. They are of different substances. Ego doesn't know God. Pharaoh doesn't know, you know, the God of the Hebrews. Um, there is no meeting place for these. There's only the truth in us that can find its way, you know, through the ego mind back to spirit. Yes, and with the focus on the stubbornness and the picture a child sitting with his arms crossed. No, I won't go yeah. to. No, I won't go to school until I get another fruit roll up, or you know, it, it, that that closed off, chin tucked down, arms crossed. There's actually a tarot card with that image in it, where there's all these all the symbology, very rich. We we pray for peace, we cry for peace, we beg for peace, and yet we keep our arms folded. But I think in order to be led to freedom, you must first be willing to follow in trust, faith, and confidence in the love of God, if you don't have those components in your awareness, I think you're going to suffer. And you're going to be Uh, enslaved to your own ego, and you're never going to find fulfillment. You You can find contentment. Some of us even find some facsimile of happiness. But we want peace. That is the ultimate goal. For a goal. while we find it, but it doesn't right. last. But, but when the, like the example you cited, when you, when you have a triumph of the ego, eventually the, the, the shine is going to wear off that, and you can get used to anything. Yep. You never yep. get used to that feeling of peace. You never get used to the point of boredom because it's what's really real. And, and these shiny things and baubles that keep us entertained while we're here, we lose interest. And like you said, what's the next thing? Oh, I'm bored with this relationship. I need someone new or a new object. Yeah, don't you think that explains the divorce rate? I mean, you know, I think the reason so many people get divorced is because, oh, you know, the, the relationship is that shiny bauble and isn't it wonderful? But after two years, you know, they're no longer wonderful. They're not new and exciting. Oh, we better go on to something else. So yes. I, I agree. I, that's exactly, exactly it. And, um, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just wanted to add, I also think strongly, I do have some opinion sometimes with regard to the divorce rate and the people that I counsel. And I think there's the majority of the people that represent that 50% of uh, couples who get divorced is a lot of them are getting married to the wrong person at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Huh. And they ignore the signs that are clearly there that say, for right now, this is a good person for you. There's an important a lesson to learn in this alliance because all alliances have purpose. However, it's not meant that you be partners for life. But that people jump into this and then coming out of it, those are some of the nastiest divorces. That makes sense. I'm just saying. Well, remember, the ego <laughs> loves to be a victim. You know, uh, the ego sees itself the victim of God and then projects that all over the place, mm-hmm. even though. God never left. God's reality is is all there is. God is God. It's oneness. 
you know, how can there be anything that exists apart from oneness? It must be there. So the ego mind is the part that, you know, separated itself, um, created a world of, you know, made a world of illusion uh, that it believes in, uh, and then feels like the victim because it can't find happiness and God isn't there. Uh, but that's part of that's part of the the act of self crucifixion that the ego uh, that the ego's journey guarantees us. You know, you follow those baubles. Yep, it will be crucifixion after crucifixion, loss after loss, tenth plague after tenth plague. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Yeah, back to your um, the, the hitting bottom. This is where the twelve step groups get it so right is that at a certain point you realize I'm not in control. Uh, I can't figure out the way. Let me step back. Let me let go and let God. Um, let me follow, to use your words. And and that probably is you know the key step is going from nope. I can figure it out. I know where it is. You know I'm the uh, the male driver lost on the road. I am not going to ask for directions. I'm going to figure this out. To no, we don't have a freaking clue. Uh, <laughs> we are so lost. Uh, we don't even know how lost we are. Uh, you know, we are blind, stumbling around in a dark room, uh, you know, with our hands and mittens. I mean, we're, we're, we're that lost. But there is a light that will lead us, and we don't know where it's taking us. I mean, there's so many times in my life where if I look back, I say, oh, I thought this was going here. I thought this relationship was the one. This was the job that was my ideal job. No, we don't know. Um, and the beauty is... God doesn't orchestrate events in physical reality to make it all work out. It's more like when you line up with your genuine essence, then the pieces fall in place because they can't do it otherwise. It's kind of like the force of gravity. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the water will move downhill unless you block it with, you know, some structure, and then it, you know, builds up and gets stagnant and all kinds of crap starts growing in it. You know, if you remove the blockage, oh, the water starts flowing downhill again. You don't have to prescribe the route. You don't have to push it along. It's just going to do that. So when we align with spirit, our lives start flowing, and that feels like a miracle because it's so different than what the ego does. You know, wow, I didn't even have to plan it. It just worked. That's how it's supposed to go. That's the love of God manifesting in our lives. Well, and I also want to touch on, in, in your book, you mentioned that someone's 10th plague their rock bottom might be the first or second plague for someone else. Yeah. You can't look at someone else and go, whoa, dude, you know, that's your 10th plague. You better watch out. You know, that might be the very start of their journey. They might have a long way to go. Um, and as I said, someone else, you know, might be able to wake up very early in the process. But that doesn't mean they're better than you are or that you're inferior. I mean, it's, it's just... You know, at what point in the caravan did, did you start uh, your journey? Um, and that's just time, and, uh, and time is ultimately an illusion. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we can't judge anyone else's plagues. Uh, we can't compare um, our lives to other people's. I think comparison is probably one of the most um, useless things that we have. And, and, again, it's a staple of the ego. The ego mind, it's all about judgment and comparison. It can't be otherwise. All it sees are differences. And if it sees a similarity for a while, um, that's usually just to exploit it and, you know, okay, we're on the same team. Let's try to get that, that bauble together. Mm. But when we really line up together with the goal of remembering, 
you know, like you and I are doing for this show, now there really is a union in oneness. Now there really is a connection because we're not trying to get something from each other. We're helping each other along the journey to remember who our, you know, our true selves are. I felt very strongly about the situation with one of the people you wrote about in your book. Her name is Sandy. Um, and it says, hitting bottom isn't confined to the world of addiction. When Sandy's uncle tried to molest her, she hit bottom. Her hopes of salvaging some morsel of respect from her relatives fell dead on the spot. No longer could she continue to pretend they cared about her. She knew for a fact that she didn't belong and never would. She'd met her tenth plague. Moving forward, it goes through. She had suicidal thoughts, and she was terrified of being alone all in one Short time frame is her birthday, then there's Christmas, there's Thanksgiving, her birthday, Christmas, and New Year's, and she's terrified of being alone. But then the highlight is it says that, okay, she didn't want to, but she weathered the stretch of desperate loneliness. She'd been alone on Thanksgiving, alone on Christmas, alone on her birthday, and alone on New Year's Eve. In the past, this would have proven to her just how worthless she really was, but she made it through. She endured her own particular brand of withdrawal, not from a drug, but from a cherished fantasy of belonging, a hoped for love that could never be. Sandy actually felt proud of herself, and for the first time, an inkling of self-love. Only by going cold turkey on her dreams and letting herself hit bottom was she able to discover that it wasn't their love she needed, it was her own. And I felt that this was very important to bring up as people listen and say, because I know how the mind works, where you look at it and you're like, yeah, I think that's a major problem in my life I should probably change. And then the ego says, no, look over there. Yeah. Or no, they did that to you. It doesn't want you to look at what the problem is because then it, it won't be able to hold you hostage in that situation. And that's the whole point of this discussion about enslavement, being held hostage, being in your self-imposed prison. But to be free from that, you have to recognize and find the self-love and allow that yeah. to be the current that where that water comes down the hill. Let self-love be the current. It will never steer you wrong, where self-deception will always steer you wrong. Yeah, and just to um, be completely clear for everyone out there listening, when we're talking about self-love, we don't mean the ego version of self-love, which is look at me, look how great I am, spike the ball in the end zone. Aren't I, you know, just the greatest thing since sliced bread? No, that, that's, that's, that's an ego trick. That doesn't last. That's a cover for insecurity. Mm. When we're talking about self-love, what we're really talking about is that love that is self, capital S, the self that is yourself as spirit, of which love is your birthright. You can't separate that self from love. So when we remove the um, blocks to the awareness of love's presence, as A Course in Miracles would put it, um, then all that's left is to experience the love. So Sandy um, had grown up in one of the most horrifically abusive um, families that I had encountered, uh, and that's saying something in my practice, uh, and had basically learned that that she was garbage, uh, that she was, you know, nothing but a sex toy, uh, and even part, you know, in some ways thought, okay, well, if that's what I am, let me let me use that to try to get some, uh, you know, some love in the world, and and in going through this this tenth plague um, transit of 
loneliness. It isn't just like, oh, she had to sit at home alone, poor thing. Uh, it really brought her face to face with this, this core sense of, I don't even deserve to live. There's nothing here for me. She had to look at that and realize that no other human being, no relative, no therapist was going to be able to do that to her or for her, as you were saying, Shar. And, and yet in, in confronting her worst fear, rather than running from it and trying to find yet another relationship, she came through it and began to develop a sense of that, oh, maybe there is love here for me. You know, and, and maybe it isn't mm-hmm. contingent and conditional upon other people. So, yeah, really good point. Um, really good point. Well, it jumped out at me. I can certainly relate to it. And I think it really hit that core where it, it all comes, you know, comes back to the beginning, who we are as spirit. And yes. it's a very compelling chapter in, in your book. This is Chapter 9 and Chapter 10. And if you want to follow up this conversation with some, let's say, some light reading, Chapter 20, The Vision of Holiness and A Course in Miracles, there is actually a a short paragraph I'd like to share from A Course in Miracles, and then I guess we will end the segment. Sounds good. Okay. Please do. This is Chapter 20, Section 2, The Gift of Lilies, Paragraph 10. This is the way to heaven and to the peace of Easter in which we join in glad awareness that the Son of God is risen from the past and has awakened to the present. Now he is free, unlimited in his communion with all that is within him. Now are the lilies of his innocence untouched by guilt and perfectly protected from the cold chill of fear and withering blight of sin alike. Your gift has saved him from the thorns and nails, and his strong arm is free to guide you safely through them and beyond. Walk with him now, rejoicing, for the Savior from illusions has come to greet you and lead you home with him. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Yes, indeed. So the next time we'll be getting together will be on May 8th, the second Thursday in May. Okay. I think we have some stuff here. Yeah, I don't know what the topic for that will be yet. I, I haven't checked in with, you know, the powers that be uh, to see what wants to come through. But Char and I will do that, and hopefully uh, and and it is archived, so time doesn't matter. So, well, Dr. Bob, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, and thanks to everyone uh, listening in the present or in the future, uh, and wishing you all um Good Passovers, may you find your freedom, uh, and Happy Easters, may the Christ in you make itself increasingly known on this day, on this holiday season, and in every one of them. Wow, amen to that. And (laughs) and anyone, if you are new to uh, Dr. Bob or the show, uh, the name of the book is From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit. Robert Rosenthal, MD. You can get it at FromPlaguesToMiracles.com. It's also available on Amazon. Go to the website. Read some excerpts. This book is very profound. It's suitable for anyone, no matter where they are on their path. Do that if you're interested in A Course in Miracles. Go to ACIM.org. Learn more. Purchase the book. But do tune in in the future as we will continue our monthly segments throughout the year and impart some beautiful wisdom in the process. Yes. Okay, well, 
that is our show for today. Until next time, everyone, God bless and be at peace. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.